right. Have a word of prayer with me. God, it's so good to be in your presence uh, this morning. Uh, God, many of us after a long week, uh, God, it's good to be wrapped in your arms. It's good to crawl into the arms of our Savior. God, it's good to be amongst the body of Christ this morning. So God, as we worship you, as we sing, God, we do declare that you are holy. Uh, God, whenever I hear the word holy, I often think of Isaiah 6 and the vision that Isaiah got. God, and Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And there were these seraphims that just hovered around them with six wings and Two of the wings were flying and two of the wings were covering their own face and two of the wings, their feet. And all that they could utter was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And so, God, as we come into your presence, as we gather together as the body this morning, God, I can't help but think that you are seated on your throne. God, and you deserve and you desire to hear the words holy, 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 because that's what you are. And so, God, as we open up your word, as we gather together, as we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of you, God, I pray that you would help us to see you as a holy God, as a living God, as a mighty God. And God, that that would forever change our lives. God, my prayer is that we wouldn't leave this place the same that we came in. God, that your word would speak to us, that your word would open up our hearts, that your word would tear down walls, that your word would transform and intervene into the very core of who we are. So, God, I beg and I plead to you this morning, God, that you don't let us leave the same people. God, Romans 12 says that uh, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, that your word is the one that transforms our thinking. And so, God, would you do that this morning? God, we come before you. God, as humble, broken people. God, would you speak to us? Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good? Great? All right. Hey, before we dive in this morning, I see Eddie in the back, uh, back there. Eddie, can you hear me? Hey, he's waving his hands. Eddie, this is kind of neat. We don't get a chance to do this very often. Eddie, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago. Him and his wife, Patty. Is Patty, is Patty here? There's Patty. They celebrated 25 years of marriage just a couple weeks ago, right? Yes. And in a, in a world where marriage seems to be breaking down, and we as a church, we still value marriage, right? We still value God's covenant. And, uh, and so we want to say congratulations to you guys on 25 years. Uh, that's exciting. We wish you another 25 plus uh, years together. Uh, is that good, Patty? The, yes, absolutely. All right. And uh, that's God's plan for creation, right? We see that from the very beginning of time. Adam and Eve, God brought them together. And uh, so we know that marriage is important. It's actually a direct picture of God's relationship with us, right? Because we as the church are called what? The bride of Christ. Right. And so when we see our marriage, our marriage is flourishing, it's a direct parallel picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're excited for you guys. Twenty five years. Uh, that's exciting. This morning, we are going to dive into the book of John. And uh, so if you will do this with me, if you'll grab your Bibles, grab your Bible app, whatever you use and uh, find your way to John chapter 10 this morning. 
Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, John chapter 10, there's two parts of the Bible, right? There's the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, the book of John uh, is found in the New Testament, which is the second half of our Bibles. And the very beginning of the New Testament is the Gospels, right? There's four Gospels. And John would be one of the books of the Gospel. Uh, John is kind of unique, however. Um, the other three Gospels actually are given a title. They're known as Synoptic Gospels, which means uh, these three Gospels, which are Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, they actually include many of the same stories, uh, quite often in a similar sequence or similar wording. And so these three uh, Gospels really kind of mirror each other. But John's kind of unique. John's a little different. Uh, John stands out a little bit. Uh, John actually records a large piece of information that the other three Gospels don't even have. And all the Gospels, of course, together, uh, together give us a picture of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. They're kind of like a biography of who Jesus was. And uh, so this morning, I want us to kind of dive in and get a better picture of who, who is Jesus. Uh, I love that name, Jesus. It's so precious. It's so sweet. Um, here's the other in- interesting thing about John. John, when you look at especially Matthew and Luke, we're coming up on Christmas time. Matthew and Luke, when you open up those books, those are the books around Christmas time that we open up and say, hey, at the very beginning of both Matthew and Luke, we see the beginning of Jesus, right? We see the the birth of our Savior. We see Jesus leave the place of heaven and we see him take on flesh and blood and, and, and take on human life. And we see this picture of the birth of our Savior. But in John, John actually starts much later in Jesus's life. And so if you were to turn to John chapter one, you would see that it doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. John actually only records the last few years of Jesus's life. It actually records his earthly ministry. And uh, so, again, John is unique. Uh, John also likes the number seven, uh, kind of a number of perfection. But John loves the number seven. In fact, as you read through John, you're going to see John uh, as he goes through it, he is pointing to specific things that he wants you as a reader and us as a reader to understand about who Jesus is. And so he points out seven different miraculous events uh, of Jesus. And uh, we're going to kind of land ourselves right in the middle of some of those uh, miraculous signs this morning. Actually, we'll find ourselves in chapter 10, right in the middle of miraculous sign number six and miraculous sign number seven. Right. Number six being the blind man given sight and number seven being uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, those are the two uh, miracles that we kind of find ourselves in this morning. But here's the other seven that got, that John uses. John uses seven emphatic I am statements about who Jesus is. And his whole point of this is to point out who Jesus is, to give us a better picture of Jesus. But not only that. But John has a purpose in writing the book of John. Uh, Let me see if I can get this to work here. Maybe not. All right. We have this problem last. There we go. John actually states in the book of John, here's the purpose. This is why John writes the book of John. Right. He sums it up again. He's different than the other uh, gospel writers. He actually in John uh, chapter 20, verse 31 or 30 and 31, he says this. He says, and truly, Jesus did many other signs than just these seven right in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these seven are written. Why? And here's the purpose of why he wrote it. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name, you may have an abundant life. 
right? By understanding who Jesus is, by understanding that he is the Messiah that even the Jewish people were waiting for. And so John, his whole purpose of writing this is to help us to understand that. So this morning, let's look at, uh, we're going to look at one of these I am statements and actually we'll kind of mix a second one in there. We're going to kind of look at a couple of, of these I am statements, but we're going to focus on one. Um, and so, uh, Dave, if you can put that uh, passage up on the screen, John chapter 10, 7 through 10 is kind of where we're going to find ourselves. So John, kind of read it along with me, starting at verse 7. Verse 7 says, so Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. You guys will notice there's a gate or a door up here. Some of your versions may say gate, some may say door. But he says to them, I assure you, I am the gate or the door of the, of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come. Listen, church, I have come so that you may have life and that you may have it in abundance. See, Jesus makes this declaration about himself. He comes and he says to a people who are familiar with sheep and shepherds, he says, I am the gate. Look at this gate for a minute, old, rustic. But he says, I am the gate or the door of the sheep. And so he makes this statement. Uh, If you remember back all the way to Exodus, God himself makes a similar statement uh, in Exodus chapter three. Dave, if you'll uh, flip over to the next slide up there. Exodus chapter three says this. It says, so then Moses asked God. Hey, God, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And then and, and God replies to Moses and he says, tell them this, tell them I am who I am. Right. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So here all of a sudden Jesus is using the same I am statement. And when God makes this statement, God is basically saying, hey, I'm self-existent. Nothing happened before me. Nobody had to create me. I've always been. I always will be. And then he's also declaring his eternality. He's talking about how he is eternal God. Right? He will always be. So from that, from those two words, I am. Right? He is saying, I am the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come. And then Jesus takes that I am statement and he kind of gives a little bit more depth and life to it. And he uses these metaphors and he says seven different times, I am something. And if you read through the book of John, you'll see him say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And then we get to this passage and he says, I am the gate. I'm the door. I don't know about you. When I hear that phrase, I think, God, of all uh, Jesus, of all the things you could have declared yourself, why a gate? Why a door? Seems kind of weird, right? And uh, I can see Jesus being the light of the world. I can see Jesus being many things. But why a gate? Why a door? Well, this morning, that idea of a door, it actually literally represents represents the sheep's door or the sheep's gate. Right. It's the only way to enter into the sheepfold. So this morning, I want us to unpack this. We're going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, but in order to do that, I, I need us to kind of understand the context of, of when we come to this passage and we see Jesus making this statement, 
What's it in relation to? So flip back over one chapter before chapter nine. Chapter nine, I want us to kind of get a picture here of of why Jesus comes to this point where he declares the statement about being a gate or a door. Chapter nine, look at verse one. He says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Again, this is uh, his miraculous sign. Number number six. Verse two says his disciples questioned him. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In fact, this came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day for night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's one of his I am statements. After this, he said these things, he spit on the ground and he made some mud and from that saliva and he spread the mud on his on this blind man's eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. So he left, he washed and he came back seeing his sight had been restored. And his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this the man who sat begging? And some said, he's the one. No others were saying, but he looks like him. And they kept saying, or he kept saying, I'm the one, it's me. The beggar, the one that was blind, the one that you would pass by, the one that you would ridicule. It's me, I can see. Therefore, they asked him, then how were your eyes open? They were curious. They wanted to know. And so he answered to the best of his ability. He was blind. I mean, he didn't didn't know too much, right? He said, well, this man called Jesus, this man that had the name of Jesus, he came and he made mud and he spread it on my eyes and he told me to go to the pool and to wash And so when I went and I washed, I I received my sight. Well, where is he? They asked. I don't know. I was blind. I left there. Right. I did what I was told to do. Verse 13, it says they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Right now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are involved. It says that day, the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, this is why the Pharisees come in. So again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. And he told them, he said, he put mud on my eyes. He told them, and I washed and now I can see. It's as simple as that. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Right? If you know about the Pharisees, they were bent on keeping the Sabbath. Despite any other thing that was going on. And but the others were saying, but how can a sinful man perform such signs? And we see that there was this division amongst the Pharisees. And so again, in verse 17, again, they asked the blind man as if the first time they didn't get the answer they wanted. They ask him again and they say, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Well, he's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his side, and they asked them, is this your son? The one you say was born blind, but, but then how now does he see? And so his parents, they say, well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But the parents answer, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. And they say, hey, why don't you go ask him? He's of age. Right. Well, they had a reason they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, as we'll see in a little bit. All right. They say, hey, he'll, he'll speak for himself. Verse 22. 
So his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already made uh, an, an agreement that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, as Messiah or Savior, that he would be banned from the synagogue. So this is why his parents said he's of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and they, and they told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And so the blind man who now had received the sight, he answered them. He said, whether or not he's a sinner, I have no clue. Right? I don't know. But one thing I do know, my condition, right? I was blind and now I can see. So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Right? They're not getting the answer they want. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? Ooh, that was a smack in the face, right? And so they, they start to ridicule this blind man that's now received his sight. Right? They say, you're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing the man told them. So what you're saying is you don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. Hmm. And are you trying to teach us? And then guess what they did? They threw him out of the synagogue, threw him out of the temple place. And not just for that day, but they threw him out. They cast him out. We don't want anything to do with you. Right. They didn't get the answer they wanted. But here's the beauty of Jesus. Right. Jesus right away. Verse 35. He says this. He says, when I heard that the man who I'd given sight to had been thrown out, he says, I went in search of him and I found him and I asked him this question. Do you believe in the son of man? And the blind man, again, he was blind when all this happened. And so he says, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answered him and said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you now. And so his response is, Lord, I believe. I believe. And he's laid down and he started to worship him. He bowed before him and started to worship him as the as the Messiah, as the God. And so Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see. And those who do see will become blind. See, the Pharisees had a hard time believing. They thought they were the ones that could see. They thought that they were the ones looking for the Messiah, that they would recognize him when they when he came And yet in their own selfishness, they missed it. And yet the blind man who couldn't even see believed because of Jesus's work in his life. Jesus has compassion on him. Salvation comes to him. And so this morning, that's where we find ourselves. That's that's the lead up to John chapter 10. Right. We get to the point of John chapter 10 and look at verse one. Of John chapter 10, it says this, it says, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. See, we just got done talking where Jesus was talking with the Pharisees and his disciples. And we see the Pharisees rejecting Jesus and rejecting the blind man. And all of a sudden, Jesus makes this bold statement, right? 
And he says, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Right. We know that there had been others who had claimed to be the Messiah before him. Right. They were thieves and robbers. But he kind of if you read into it, he kind of puts the Pharisees in that same bucket. And he says, many of you. Right. Because they'll ask later, wait, are we blind? Here's what we know about this. We talk about the gate and, and the door. Here's why I think we have a hard time understanding why Jesus would make this statement is uh, if you're if you're a farmer this morning, can you just raise your hand? Any farmers in the house? No farmers. Well, there we go. We have some chickens. I knew Barbara would raise her hand. Right. But in our society, you don't see sheep walking down the down the road. Right. Barbara doesn't usually let her chickens out just to wander around the neighborhood. Right? We're, we're not farmers. And so but in this time, they were farmers. They they had sheep. They knew when God when Jesus made the statement about being the gate, they would automatically picture a sheepfold. They would automatically go to this vision of what a gate would look like. Now, this is a old, rustic, kind of modern gate. I'm sure the gates back then didn't look like this. In fact, I know they probably didn't. Right? This is the closest I can get to an old, rustic gate. Right? But I want to give us a visual this morning. Because here's the deal. The readers, the Jewish people, right? the listeners of this, they would have said, when he said... Anyone who doesn't enter by the sheep pen uh, by the door, but climbs in some other ways, a thief and a robber, and he goes on to talk about sheep and shepherds, they would have automatically thought, hey, I got sheep. Some of them would probably even say, hey, I'm a shepherd. Right. And so they're all automatically making this connection with what Jesus is saying. And many people back then would have a flock of sheep. And so a flock of sheep is like 12 or more sheep. Uh, many of them would just have a whole herd of sheep. Here's the thing. How many, raise your hand, if you've ever watched a YouTube video or seen a video of sheep fighting each other, anybody ever seen a video like that? But no, because Dave has. Sheep don't often fight each other. But I've seen videos of lions fighting each other and bears, and I've seen a kangaroo punching a human, and then the human punching the kangaroo back, right? Lots of other animals have these, like, killer instincts in them, right? Like, they got to defend themselves, but sheep don't have that same instinct, right? Sheep are defenseless. Sheep don't, if they encounter trouble, what do sheep do? They run the other way, right? I don't want to be fighting. They're, they're, I think they're lovers, not fighters, right? Oh, there you go. Right, right. Defending their territory or their, their female, probably. <laughs> right? So we don't see this with sheep, right, often. Here's the thing. Sheep need protection, Sheep are easy to steal, and it was the shepherd's job to protect the sheep, right? It was the shepherd's job to protect the sheep. Look at verse 2 of chapter 10. So the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus makes, first of all, the statement where he says, the one who enters by the door or the gate, right, is the shepherd of the sheep. Later we'll see in verse 7 where he talks about he is the gate, Right. Again, I'm not sure what you think about when you think about the word gate or door this morning. Um, we actually I don't know if you guys realize this. Some of the most visited tourist spots across the world are actually huge, large, old established gates. Uh, often they're maybe known as arches. Um, I actually I want to put a picture up here, Dave, if you can help me with that. Um, I don't know if you guys recognize this photo. Uh, this would be a photo in Jerusalem. This is called the Golden Gate, not the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, but this is the Golden Gate. This is one of uh, 
only two entrances into Jerusalem, right? This was one of their gates, the Golden Gate. Um, I think they have it all boarded up now. I don't think you can actually walk through it. But this would be one of the ways that you could get into the land of Jerusalem, into their area. Right. There's there's these gates like this all across the world that people have made and established and people drive and fly to see these things. But gates are to provide something right They're to provide access they're to keep people out. Right. Um, In this case, it was access to the city. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, the gate, uh, I am the gate. But first of all, I will enter through the gate. And the one that enters through the gate is the real shepherd. Everybody else are thieves and robbers. Right. They're not there to protect you. Look at verse three. Says the doorkeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse four says when he has brought all of his own outside, he goes ahead of him. And the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. Kind of a fun fact about sheep. Did you guys know that sheep actually recognize the voice of the shepherd? And they will actually, if there is somebody else calling for them, that's not the voice of their shepherd. They recognize that and they will go the other way. And so the sheep, for whatever, they have this ability to understand the shepherd. When we look at this passage and we and we talk about sheep and shepherds, we have to understand there's two types of shepherds. There were Western shepherds and there were Eastern shepherds. Now, Western shepherds uh, were the ones that would come behind the sheep and they would get their sheep dogs and they would kind of corral the sheep and they would kind of push the sheep from behind. You probably see these in like movies with uh, the, the cattle ranchers and stuff where they would kind of lead from behind and they would have to push the cattle forward. Right. Those were the Western shepherds. But. In this case, in this passage, we're looking at eastern shepherds. And the eastern shepherds would actually lead their sheep out. And they would actually go before their sheep. And they would call their sheep by name. They would I don't know what sound they made. I don't know if they actually named them and called them one by one. But they would call their sheep. They would go before them. And then the sheep would recognize their voice. And the sheep would follow them. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, Dave, you have the next slide. This is kind of an example of a sheepfold. Um, we know there's a couple of different types of sheepfolds, right? One, if they were in a village, uh, kind of near their homes, often they would have these large kind of communal sheepfolds where like lots of shepherds and lots of sheep would bring their sheep all together. And there would be a strong gate, right? There'd be something like this that would be there to protect the sheep, to keep the sheep safe, to keep the, the bad wolves and everybody else out, uh, the bears, the other things, right? Um, and so they would have these. But often when they went out into the pastures and they went out into the, the valleys and the mountainsides, they would encounter and they had created these sheepfolds that looked like this, right? Not there's no covering to them. There's really not even a gate or a door. It's just a small opening for the sheep to go into. Right. And so we would see often if I'm not sure if you can see this picture, but they are often on the top stack, maybe more jagged rock, rocks on the top for a little bit more protection. Uh, but here's the thing. The shepherd in these cases, the shepherd would actually act as the gate or the door. Once the sheep were in, the shepherd would actually come and stand in the doorway. Often at nighttime, they would lay down and they would spread their body across the opening of the sheepfold. In essence, they were saying, it's my job to protect the sheep. Right. It's my job to keep the sheep safe. It's my job to make sure that tomorrow is another day that we can go out to the pastures and they can find food and water. But at nighttime, I have to bring them together and it's my job to protect them. And so we're seeing these imageries, we're seeing these things. 
uh, in this passage. Look at verse five with me. It says they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Who do you think is the they? Somebody didn't understand what he was telling them. It was the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees they didn't understand. They should have been the ones to understand, but they didn't understand. God, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Jesus, it doesn't make sense. Look at verse seven. It says in our passage, it says that so Jesus said again to you, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. Let me point this out. Jesus never says, I am just a door. Jesus never says, I am just a door. But what does Jesus say? The door, right? Jesus says, I am the door. There is no other way for the sheep to come into the sheepfold and be safe except through me. Right. Jesus makes the claim he's pointing out what John the purpose of John is to make sure that people understand that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus makes a statement because he wants them to understand that, hey, I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you have been waiting for. And sure, you may have had a different picture of what I looked like. You may have thought I was going to come in and be the the conqueror and the one who was going to establish his kingdom now. Right. And that's not how he came in. But he says to them, you have to trust me. I'm the gate. I'm the one that provides access to the father. I'm the one that will protect the sheep. So what does the gate do? Let me just uh, kind of wrap up our time with this. Dave, if you can go to the next, next slide and on your handout, you probably have a, a couple spots to write this in. So what does the gate do? Right. The gate provides access. The gate provides access. Think about this. Gates today. We have gates everywhere. Right. Uh, how many of you went through a gate or a door this morning to get here? Pretty much all of us, right? We had to go through a door at least, right, to get into this building. But many of us went through some kind of gate or some kind of door. When you look at your homes, uh, this past year, my wife and I bought a home. We're still working on it, haven't moved in yet. But um, we noticed there's gates and doors everywhere, right? There's a door to your front yard or to get to your front yard. There's a door in the back of your house. You have doors inside your house, right, to get to bedrooms, to bathrooms, Right. You have some of you have doggy doors or cat doors. Right. To let your cats and animals in and out. Uh, we have we have doors on our cabinets. Right. We have doors everywhere. There's doors on our cars. And here's the thing. If somebody wants to get into my house. Right. And they try to get into my house any other way but the front door. Guess what? I'm going to have some I'm going to have some trouble with that. Right. Because if you're not coming through my front door, it means what? Either you know me really well, and I like at Dave's house, right? We always go through Dave's side door, right? I, I grew up with the good ones. We always go through their side door. We, I didn't even realize they had a front door for a while, but right. So, but you would go typically through someone's front door, right? So, if someone's going to try and come into my house some other way—a window, or if you have a chimney, Santa—I don't know. Anyways, uh, right? Some other way, then it, there's going to be. Wait a minute, that's not how you get into my house, right? Doors and gates are meant to provide access, but often we have doors and gates because we want to limit the access that people have to our house, right? I don't want anybody just hopping in my car. That's why we have doors on our cars, right? I don't want anybody just coming into my house at any hour of the day. That's why we have doors on our houses, right? 
to offer access when access can be granted and sometimes to keep people out if we don't want them in. But flip over to verse 16 real quick in chapter 10. I love verse 16 because this includes you and I this morning. Verse 16 says, but I have other sheep, other sheep, right? I have other sheep that are that are not of this fold and I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice and then there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. Folks, this morning, that verse should be what we cling to, right? Because if you're not a, a, a Jew, if you're not an Israelite, then we would cling to verse 16 because he's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about you and I, right? And he's saying, I want both Gentiles and Jews to come together. There'll be one flock and I will be their one shepherd. And he says, and I will give you access. John chapter 14, verse 6. You can listen along or flip over there. But John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? No one comes into the sheepfold. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me? No, except through Jesus, right? Except through the Messiah. Right? That's the only way. Our world will tell us there's lots of different ways. Right. We live in a culture and a society today where they say, hey, your truth is great and your truth is great and my truth is good. And that will all get us eventually to God. Folks, that's a lie from the evil one. Right. Jesus makes it very clear. I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no other way to get to the father except through who? Jesus. Right. Except through who? Jesus. Right. He's the only way that I can gain access to the father. So this morning, if you have never gained that access, this morning, if you've never come into a relationship with Christ, you've never confessed your sins, you've been trying to get access some other way. Can I encourage you this morning that you don't have to leave wondering how to gain access to Christ, to God. Jesus says, I am that access. Jesus says, I am the way. Just come through me. Believe in me. Right. Just like the blind man said in verse 38 of chapter nine, he says, Lord, I believe. Right? And, he, and, he, and he got down and he worshipped him. Here's the second thing that the gate provides. The gate provides protection. The gate provides protection. We're just kind of in this morning. Uh, when I was a young kid, I'm going to date myself here for just a minute. When I was a young kid, uh, we used to have this grocery store just around the corner from my house called Lucky's. Anybody remember Lucky's? That was before Albertsons and... All that good stuff, right? So we used to have this store called Lucky's, and that would be the store that we would always go to our family. It was with walking distance, although we would often drive, right, because of the groceries and stuff. But I remember at one point in my life, and I don't really remember how old I was. I was either late elementary school, probably more middle school, because uh, I don't think my parents would have let me walk, probably in elementary school over there by myself. But probably in, in middle school, me and my brother decided, hey, let's go over to Lucky's. And, and I just celebrated my birthday. I had some, a bunch of uh, money in my wallet. And so I was excited. I'm going to go buy some snacks, right? And uh, so me and my brother, we walk uh, around the corner, go to Lucky's, we get in there, and we're uh, shopping, we get our stuff, get up to the counter. And as we're standing at the counter, I didn't realize it at the time, but there were these a uh, little bit older guys, and when I say older, they're probably like high school age or maybe young into college. And they were standing behind us, and when I opened up my wallet to pay, they saw all these dollar bills in my wallet. And I was just a young guy, it was just me and my brother. My brother's two years older than me, so he's a little bit older, but... Um, 
So as we walk, we pay, we walk out. Well, these guys must have quickly paid and followed us out. And before we could even get out of the parking lot and into the neighborhood, these two, these are two or three guys. And they start saying, hey. And so we look back and we notice they're right on us. And they said, hey, we saw your money. Give it to us. And I'm in, I'm in like elementary or middle school. And I'm just like, what? Right? Like I'm nervous and right. I just want to get home. And I'll never forget my brother, two years older than me. He steps behind me and he whispers in my ear and he says, Tim, just keep walking. Right. My brother at that moment in time, he was acting as my protector. Right. And in that sense. Right. And he was saying, just keep walking. And so we kept walking. He said, walk faster. And so we kept walking and walk a little faster. We finally got to our neighborhood, but I didn't want them to know where I lived. Right. So across the street from us was this family and they always sit outside. And so they were sitting outside. And so we went up and we immediately we got into the neighborhood. We ran into their front yard and these guys bolted. Right. And we say, hey, these guys are following us. They want our money. And they said, OK, you're safe. You're good. So once they left and we went home, told my parents. Right. But for me, it was that picture of God is saying, look, at, I am the only one that can offer you protection. And he may I'm not saying God is saying, hey, nothing ever bad will happen to you. That's not the protection I'm talking about. Right. God sometimes does offer physical protection, but God is saying, look, at, I am the lover and the creator of your soul. And if you choose to see that I can be the only access to the father and you believe in me as the Messiah, he says, I will give you access and then I will offer you protection. Right. You remember the, the passage uh, the, or the verse in chapter 10 where Jesus says. Verse nine, he says this, he says, anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and he will go out and he will find pasture. Right. So in Jesus, I have the protection to go in and out of the sheep in and out of the sheepfold. I have protection to move and about. And Jesus gives me the pasture and the protection that I need. And Jesus says, hey, I'm the only one that can offer you that protection. I don't know about you guys, but often I get to the middle of my week. Uh, I work outside the church. Uh, 40 hours a week. And um, and so I often get to the middle of my week and I just think, man, there's so much going on in our world. There's so much pressure from bosses at work. Right. We have the the Las Vegas shootings, the horrible things happening there. We have all these natural disasters. And I, sometimes I get to the middle of my week and I just think, man, I just long to be in the presence of God's people. You guys ever get there where you just, I just want to be in the presence of God. I just want to be under his protection. I just want to be in his presence with other believers as a chance to refresh and a chance to be encouraged and a chance to worship the Lord together. And so God says, I will offer you protection, your soul. Jesus says this, what I pay for, I protect. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus says, I paid for your soul. And so if I paid for your soul, you better believe I'm going to protect your soul. Jesus says that no one will ever be able to snatch you out of my father's hands. Right. The evil one, the one that comes to try and steal and kill and destroy has no power over you as a believer. Right. Has no power over you as a believer. Because God offers you ultimate protection. So this morning, let me challenge you with this. First, have you given God access to your heart? Have you given God the access to your to your heart that he desires to have? He wants to grant you access, right? He wants to give you access to his father. But first, you have to surrender your life to him. First, you have to 
confess your sins. And you need to do it today because we're not promised tomorrow. And then number two, where do you place your protection this morning? Think about that for just a minute. Where do you place your protection? Often we place our protection in finances. I want my finances. I got to build up my finances to protect me. Or sometimes it's our job, right? I want, I want the, the, the security and the protection of having a job. Or sometimes we put our protection in our spouse or other relationships that we have. See, we, pre, we teach or we seek protection in so many other things. And Jesus is saying, those other things are going to fail you. Right? Your job's going to fail you. Right? Your finances will fail you. Right? Your relationships will most likely fail you. I hate to break it to you, parents. Your kids are probably going to fail you. They will. And even for some of us, our spouses may even fail us. But Jesus says, I will never fail you. Anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and he will go out and he will find pasture. God, thanks for your word this morning. God, thanks for. God, it's a miracle that we even have the written word of God in front of us today. God, it's only because of your doing that for thousands of years now you have preserved your written word. God, it's only by your hand and your miraculous doing that you allowed men. Who are. Not flawless to write your word, which is flawless. So, God, we come before you this morning as a church. God, in my prayers that nobody would walk out of this building this morning without a relationship with you. God, that nobody would walk out of this building saying, I don't know, I think there might be some other way. I think if I just do enough good things, God may let me in. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. It's a free gift. And all you have to recognize is that I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to come to the Father except through Jesus. So, God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of each one here. I don't, God, I don't care if it's, their, if, if it's the first time here. I don't care if they've been here for months or years. God, if there is anyone in this congregation, anyone in this church right now that has never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. God, would you stir because of the power of your Holy Spirit in their hearts right now? God, that they would just utter the words. God, that they would just say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I don't deserve it. God, you are a holy God. And I'm not. But God, I recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. I recognize that Jesus came and gave up his life on the cross for my sins. So that I don't have to do it myself. And God, for the rest of us, I pray that we wouldn't look elsewhere for protection. God, I pray that our protection would lie solely in you. God, would we focus more on you than on our finances? Would we focus more on you even than relationships around us? God, that's important. We know it is. But God, I pray that we wouldn't put all of our hope and trust in relationships. God, they're going to fail us. God, our jobs are going to fail us. God, our kids, 
are going to fail us. But God, you promised you will never fail us. So God, we come before you this morning grateful for Jesus, grateful that he he was obedient to the Father, grateful that he stepped out of the throne of heaven and took on flesh and blood and came and died for our sins. God, we don't deserve it. God, we could never earn it. But God, yet you freely give it. If we would, just as John says, if by believing, we would believe, and then by believing, we would have life that is an abundance. God, you want to give us an abundant life. So God, thanks for being the gate. Thanks for being the door. Thanks for declaring this promise of who you are to us this morning. God, may we leave this place under your protection. God, knowing that no matter what happens to us, God, I, I, I think of these people in Las Vegas that lost their lives. God, and I think often that there are people in this world that can take our flesh and blood from us, but God, nobody, nobody can take our soul from us if it's in your hands. So God, help us to give our souls over to you if we haven't done so already today. God, we love you. We are grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, send us out. God, send us out with your word. God, help us to make a difference in this world. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a tremendous week.